You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. I am pleased to be seated at the table with Joe Jaffe. He is the president and chief interrupter at Crayon. Uh, His third book, Flip the Funnel, is now available on Amazon. Um, He is an expert at tapping the nerve, and we've seen him do it for years uh, in social media spaces and through social media channels. I am pleased to have him with me at the 2009 PRSA International Conference. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet one of the three remaining podcasters out there. So, Well, there's, there's, <laughs> there's still a few of us. You know, there actually still is uh, quite a few podcasts out there, but um, you always wonder how many people actually listen to them. Um, I've always thought it was, it's dangerous to judge new media by old media standards because all you need is the right listener. And obviously, if that person talks about your show to their network, that's going to be a more trusted channel than any other channel out it's, there. It's actually funny because, and, and it, it's a complete coincidence, but just this morning I was thinking about the fact that there was a listener uh, to Across the Sound, or which then became Jaffe Juice, who uh, then brought me aboard to keynote at her company's conference. From that keynote, um, I was asked to keynote at another event um, from one of this person's clients who was in attendance. From that event, um, Crayon has received at least one piece of business and maybe another piece of business. And you can trace it back to this one listener, you know, and, and it just shows you that it's about quality, not quantity. And, and it's still, you know, it's still the biggest difference between new media and old media, which is do you want to reach the most people or do you want to reach the best people slash the right people? And that uh, gets us into your new book, uh, Flip the Funnel, which is about using existing customers to get new customers. Uh, give us an overview. Well, I'll take a step back or a couple steps back and talk about, in a way, my three books, which almost tell um, a continuous story, chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. They're not meant to be sequels or, you know, or what is what comes after a sequel? A trequel? I don't know. But um, they're not necessarily meant to be, but, but yet they tell almost a, a logical uh, evolving story. So life after the 30-second spot basically says, okay, you've got the three colors, red, yellow, and blue, the primary colors, television, radio, and print, traditional media characterized by the cash cow, the 30-second spot. But guess what? Crayola has their box of their big box of 96 crayons. So they're 96 colors. So why are we still using the same three? So, you know, the rise of new media, emerging media, non-traditional media, etc. Um, the second book then says, you know what? Um, I'm kind of, by the way, I'm like kind of like that, that, that saying, you know, I don't discriminate. I hate everyone equally. So the second book, I say, you know what? Actually, all of communication, in fact, is the devil. You know, not just, not just television, radio, and print, but actually online advertising as well. Anytime that we're talking at and to and down to, 
anytime that the messaging is on our terms, you know, coming from our ivory tower, that's called communication. Witness the birth of conversation. So conversational marketing, aka social media, aka listening strategy, yada, yada. You know this and all your listeners know this too. The third book actually says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take even a bigger step and I'm going to say all of acquisition, in fact, is the devil. Well, maybe not the devil, but all of acquisition I'm going to put in a camp on the left or maybe in the red corner. And in the blue corner, I'm going to talk about retention. Why are we in business at all today? We're in business because of our customers, period. Beginning, middle, and end. The only reason that our doors are even open are because of our existing customers. But yet, organizations continue to woo perfect strangers. They continue to chase people that have no affinity, that, that are not favorably predisposed towards our brand, our business, our products, etc., and, and shower them with offers and court them, when in actual fact, by definition and relatively, we discard or neglect the real cash cow, which are are our existing customers. So what I've done in this book is I've said, instead of ending with the customer, why don't we begin? Instead of working everything towards that point of purchase, what happens if we begin at that point? What if we actually reverse engineer the entire marketing model to not only build these incredibly strong relationships, proactive, engaged uh, relationships with our customers, but incentivize our customers to talk, to review, to create content, to recommend, to refer, actually pay them either in cash or kind, you know, reward or recognition, harness the power of word of mouth from the inside out. And if we do that, might we just be able to kind of create a better mousetrap, build our businesses from the inside out? And by the way, not just harnessing the power of customer word of mouth, but even employee communication and employee word of mouth as well. Why is it Herbal Life and all these multi-level marketing companies, Amway, you know, when you hear about them, there's like sort of this sleaze factor that, you know, your friend is going to try to sell you dishwashing soap. And, and I get what you're saying, but how do you avoid that? How do you avoid being seen as, you know, trying to buy people's loyalty? Because the truth is I trust a recommendation when I know someone's not getting paid for it, but when they're getting paid for it, I'm dubious. Well, I, you know, one of the things that, that I think are when we talk about incentivization, you know, and, and I mean, this almost seems like we're beating, you know, we're beating a dead horse, but transparency and disclosure are absolutely key, you know, integral, critical, imperative, not even up for debate, period. In addition to that, we need to think about some new terms as well. There's trust, there's credibility, there's authority, there's reputation, um, you know, there's track record and consistency as well. There are so many aspects to it as well that we can actually evolve this thinking. So the whole idea is if I ask you for a recommendation or if you volunteer a recommendation and that recommendation proves to be uh, to at least live up to my expectations, you're a hero. And if it doesn't, then ultimately you take the fall. So I think what we do is we don't give the referrer and, you know, the average Joe or the someone just like me, as Edelman would call them, enough credit. Because ultimately, there's an incredibly powerful social currency and street cred that is absolutely in play here. And so I think that we need to actually almost disintermediate the brand or the company and say, wait a second, they're just the people kind of funding you know, this, this, new, uh, this new marketplace. But really the heroes and the stars of the show are, the pe are you and me. 
And if we believe that, then, then we need to at least have some faith that these recommendations are going to stand the test of time. When I go onto Twitter and I say, hey, I'm looking for a noise-canceling uh, set of headphones, you know, I'm going to get back four or five or ten responses. I'm not going to go and vet these ten people. I'm, I'm almost, there's almost a baseline level of trust that the people, because we're connected, they're going to give me recommendations that, that actually have some value. Now, the question and your question is, if they say, you know, on the record or, or for the record, I'm actually being, you know, I'm an ambassador, you know, I'm a Maker's Mark ambassador or I'm a Bose ambassador, then the question becomes, do I value their recommendation any less? And my feeling is with the right disclosure, with something in it for me and them, in other words, I get something and they get something, and more importantly, if they're a customer themselves, that's a nice one, two, three punch. Why shouldn't we put that on the table? So um, uh, you started podcasting in September 05, and you started with Steve Rubell, someone I have huge respect for, and uh, who has appeared on this podcast twice. We'll have a link to his episodes in the show notes. And you started with a show called uh, Across the Sound, and now I know you've changed the name of that to Jaffe Juice, which is your podcast. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, You've really excelled at personal branding. You've done an excellent job with that. And so I ask you, how should clients... And this actually, I should credit this question. This question comes from Erica Deutsch, who is a, 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 a Twitter friend of mine. Um, and the question is, how should clients balance corporate branding with personal style in social media? Well, first of all, you know, I've never used the phrase personal branding. I don't like it. I don't believe in it. You know, I don't subscribe to it. So when you say, for example, that I've built a strong personal brand, all I've done really is I've built a certain level, I think, of credibility and reputation in terms of standing for something and being good at something. Now, I guess that is today but what you're, is become But you're a known. controversial guy. I mean, you get in hot water sometimes and then you handle yourself. You, whenever you've gotten in hot water, you sort of use that to propel yourself forward. But I guess, I guess the difference is that I don't set out to do that and it isn't, you know, I didn't sit down and create a perceptual map and, and look at the four quadrants and say there's definitely a gap in controversy so I'm going to go ahead and rebrand or reposition myself. I think sometimes the industry has gotten a little bit too self-involved and maybe be um, uh, overhyped this notion of human beings as brands uh, in a sense because ultimately what do we all do we all work with real brands real companies that sell real products and try and get real results so I guess that's just my I suppose I'm doing it right now from a controversy sake I'm not meaning to but I'm saying I think that people have really um, you know put too much value in their own self-worth to their detriment because now you've got too many of these personal brands running around uh, and actually for the most part they don't even know the first thing about branding that said in in many cases you know doing PR is like as we would say in entertainment hanging out a shingle you're basically putting information out there publicly and so you know I think every public relations person can relate to the fear of putting something out there and getting attacked and if they get attacked how are they going to respond but one of the things I've noticed with you is maybe I don't know do you think if I put this out here and I get attacked that'll be great because then I can you know propel myself forward or is that something that just happens or is it that you have no fear I mean what is it um great question and I and I still I will come back to the other question about corporate branding with that personal style because it's I don't want to get away from it 
Um, I think the answer probably comes down to uh, confidence and self-confidence. And specifically what I mean is believing in, in your message and believing in what you stand for and actually standing for something, I should say. You know, standing for something and believing in it. So Even if it's giving out a, a, a free iPhone on your podcast. But I absolutely, I, I, uh, you know, I still stand by that, you know, in a sense because, well, I didn't give it out. I actually said, you know what? I'm not a VP of sales. I'm a struggling, you know, single uh, sole proprietor, you know, doing this little thing called a podcast. And I don't have a VP of sales. I'm not Martha Stewart and Omni, Martha Stewart Omni Media, whatever a company is called. So you know what? Instead of putting out a rate card and having somebody represent me, I'm going to say, I want an iPhone. And whoever buys me an iPhone, you can sponsor an episode of my show. I thought it was, as it turns out, effective and efficient. It cost me nothing and it got me exactly what I wanted. Hugely effective. I mean, you and you were one of the first ones to do that and now everybody does that. I mean, you give I, away you an know, iPod or I, not an iPhone. I like iPhone's to be tougher. first. I How like, do you give away an iPhone? Because don't you have to have a contract or something? I mean, how's that work? I don't think I did. I give away an iPhone ever. Was it an iPod? You were, you were on your podcast. You were, you were pimping a, you know, yeah, you gave it. I remember I heard it on your show. I gave one away. You gave something, either an iPod or I thought it was an iPhone. I'm not really sure what I gave away. But I mean, I mean, you can do whatever you want. You know, the thing is, there are two things about me. One is I like being first. I like to me, you know, what excites me about the space is that you can make it up as you go along. And I don't mean in terms of being clueless. I mean, in terms of being a risk taker, in terms of being entrepreneurial, in terms of being creative, in terms of being uh, original. You know, we're writing the rules. We're literally operating with a blank canvas. That is so exciting to me. You know, we don't have to look at standards and we don't have to look at this is the way it's always been done. We get to rewrite the rules of marketing. I mean, that's how I look at it. So when I do stuff like that, you know, maybe it will catch on and maybe it won't. I'm not afraid to fail. You know, that's, that's an, a critical part. The other thing is I don't mind being wrong. I don't mind being proven wrong. But, but I am one of those people that believes I'd rather try something and fail than not try something at all. So, and the third point is, is, honestly, I do a lot of stuff without thinking. You know, I just do. I just do it. You know, I mean, Nike's tagline is like the mantra of my professional life. You just, you know, sometimes it's stream of conscious. When I'm recording a podcast, I just say stuff. And, 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 and yes, I'm staring at a, at, a, at a wall or staring outside of the trees outside. Um, and you forget sometimes, maybe sometimes to your detriment, that there are, you know, two or three or 4,000 people that are going to listen to what you say and potentially take that out of context. But I, I wouldn't want it any other way. The next question uh, is going to come from Gianni, uh, Giovanni Rodriguez, uh, who you may know, and he yeah. is a friend and also a, a Facebook friend. And the question is um, uh, whether or not social media is A, up-leveling, or B, marginalizing people in the PR profession. So up-leveling means obviously putting the, elevating them or marginalizing them. Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, another, it's another great question. I mean, I would say it's probably doing a little bit of both, obviously. Uh, and that depends on what kind of a PR person you are and, and how you're embracing this and how you're ultimately adopting it. I mean, that's probably, it, it seems like a very soft answer, but that's probably the answer itself. I mean, I, look, when I met people like Steve Rebell initially and, you know, and, and heard about Edelman even before Steve joined them, 
I was just, you know, I was just amazed at how progressive this industry was. I always thought that PR was this industry that puts out press releases and, you know, and that's about it. And, you know, only later on did I realize that's exactly what the PR industry does. I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, and, and I thought that these guys literally took social media by the scruff of its neck and, and they got it and, and they understood this idea of earned media and, and nurturing relationships and outreach and, you know, media relations, investor relations, which became blogger relations. Unfortunately, what I realized having spoken with several and countless PR people was that most of the PR industry was still, you know, stuck in the past, was still in the quicksand of mediocrity and, 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 and resisting change and resisting all of these new aspects uh, of, the, of the market, just like Madison Avenue. So what, what actually became uh, obvious and evident to me was two two things. One, the only reason why PR was out in front, you know, it's that old analogy where a bunch of people stand in a line, they say, we need a volunteer, and six people take a step back, and so the person left standing is the volunteer. That's really what happened with PR. PR almost, you know, took the bull by the horns only because nobody else was even there to show up in the first place. What we're seeing happen now is that, first of all, just because you're in PR doesn't mean you get it. So there is, a, there is an acute difference between a winner in PR and a loser in PR. The other thing is that other industries are trying desperately to get in on the act and follow suit. So the, the message to the PR industry is, first of all, don't think that this is yours by, you know, this, this is not a decree that has been sent your way. This is not an inheritance. This is no right or obligation. You have to fight for this and you have to earn this and you have to lead by example. And if you want to be out in front, you have to, again, lead by example and you have to stay out in front. Otherwise, you will be caught up and, uh, by everybody else, by Madison Avenue, by the rest of the other industries, even by clients themselves that are turning to twin turns and interns to do this stuff, which is a huge mistake. Well, it's funny you bring up this term twin turns and uh, Twitter is certainly, certainly the shiny, uh, shiny object of the day. Um, are you using Twitter? Are you leveraging Twitter? How do you feel about Twitter as a channel for marketing? I, you know, I'll say two things. One is there is this, um, this analogy that I use in all my presentations now, which is don't look at the finger, look at where it's pointing. So in that respect, Twitter is to real-time messaging or presence applications, whatever you want to call it, virtual water coolers, text messaging meets social networking. What Xerox was, what Kleenex was, what TiVo is or, or will be, what Hoover was. Um, I believe, I mean, I, listen, I went through the whole second life thing. I was called a second life booster. And let me tell you, Twitter is a is a hundred times worse than Second Life ever was. So, you know, if you're waiting for a bubble to burst, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Twitter. Um, the bottom is going to fall out soon enough and we're starting to see it fall, fall out. I mean, we're starting to see it where, I mean, for God's sake, Miley Cyrus stopped Twittering. I mean, if that, if that isn't the beginning of the end, I don't know what is. Uh, NBA stars have been now told to stop Twittering before and during, during games. We're starting to see that the very force that hyped and helped Twitter tip or, or twip, whatever, which was celebrities starting to now uh, turn away. And when that happens, I think Twitter is going to become nothing more than just a way that social media personal brands talk amongst themselves. Now, that said, 
I do believe in the power of real time and the power of now and the power of live and the ability for people to activate communities and connect with one another in real time. I'm just not sure that Twitter is going to be the be all and end all. And quite frankly, I'm really irritated that that not a single conversation can happen in our space without Twitter dominating that conversation. You know, we should be talking about this thing, this new trend called blogging. Have you heard about it? You know, because we're still seeing, I mean, the majority of Fortune 500 companies are still not blogging, are still not engaging in direct, meaningful conversations with their customers in but, the but form of blogging. Not, if it's not the be-all, end-all, what is it? I mean, what, what, do you, what purpose do you think it will come to be the best channel to fulfill? You mean Twitter? Yes. Well, I mean, we, we've seen a number of usage scenarios that actually work really well with Twitter. I mean, the ability to activate in real time. You know, we've seen little case studies. I mean, customer service, huge. Customer service is one channel that absolutely Twitter is excelling at and in. But it doesn't have to be Twitter. I mean, Twitter is one of 20 tools. Some people believe that maybe PR should handle Twitter and customer service should come in when it becomes a DM, a direct message conversation, person to person. But when it's broadcast distribution, that that should be handled by someone with external communications training. Agree, disagree? Uh, partly agree. I mean, I mean, I believe that. Um, let's put it this way: an intern should not be charged with with any form of external communication or conversation. Um, it's a huge. It's not that it's a problem. It's just that it's a missed opportunity uh, because they don't understand the finer, uh, let's say, the nuances of you know, corporate communication or crisis communication or employee communication or customer conversation, whatever you want to call it. Um, they also just aren't experienced enough. They don't know enough about the product, the brand, the people in their organization. Um, they're probably not empowered to deliver against it. So, you know, I'm not sure that PR should be handling any aspect of Twitter, um, but I also don't believe it should be a throwaway um, task assigned to an intern. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, clients should be handling these kinds of conversations themselves. They should not be using a third party. They should not be using an ad agency. They should not be using a PR agency. Um, so sorry to disappoint your listeners, but this is something that should be coming from the inside. Well, let's talk about PR for a second. Should PR lead in social media engagement? Uh, and my answer would be absolutely not. I mean, just and, and just, you know, to go back to the I hate everyone equally, um, no, absolutely nor should advertising or media or Madison Avenue. Um, I do think, though, that let's be honest, uh, clients should not either because they're incapable. I mean, right now, the thing that, that probably is the most frightening and concerning to me um, is the fact that there is no collaboration or coordination or even integration that happens within a company for the most part you know departments don't talk to one another uh you know uh people in different divisions don't play nice with one another social media or conversational marketing is as much horizontal as it is vertical and for that uh, in you know, for for that to apply, there almost needs to be a new department. There needs to be a new capability or competency in an organization. 
it is a horizontal capability. Um, you know, enjoying the conversation, I refer to it as a conversation department and that we needed chief conversation officers, people that were able to span a variety of departments. I mean, already, you know, Eric, we've spoken about advertising, we've spoken about PR, we've spoken about customer service. These are all different departments. How are they playing nice? How are they being coordinated? How are they aligned with one another? How are they integrated? And the answer is they're not. And, and until we can somehow figure out a way to bring these different siloed capabilities together, we're never going to see anyone really leading. So if PR leads today, it's, it's a temporary assignment. Um, and it's until companies figure out how to actually create a better mousetrap. And sadly, I don't think that's going to happen for years. You know, sometimes um, the most logical course of action does not prevail. Um, I uh, finished a study recently with PRSA, Corn Ferry International, and Trendstream. Trendstream, by the way, is the company of a guy named Tom Smith, who used to be with Universal McCann, and who was the lead researcher on that uh, uh, thing everyone talks about called When Did We Start Trusting Strangers and uh, Wave 3, which you know gets shown in so many uh, power, uh, PowerPoint decks at these conferences. <clears throat> and what we found, we, what we did, we interviewed... We interviewed people who had hired or were planning to hire someone in PR and marketing uh, either in the past 12 months or in the next 12 months. And we asked them, what skills are you looking for from these candidates to try to get a feel for what the marketplace wanted from skills? And, and one of the things we did find from that study was as far as hiring managers were concerned, PR was leading in social media engagement at most organizations, and it was by a pretty strong majority. By the way, I'll put a link to the report in the show notes. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I mean, that's the way it does seem to be going right now. PR is leading. Right. And, and as I said, right now, it, it's more, it's less about PR took a giant step forward. It's more about everybody else either took a giant step back or just didn't show up or didn't move forward quick enough. And, and my point is that I have no problem with PR continuing to lead, but my message is that there needs to be continuous and consistent innovation, evolutionary and even revolutionary thinking in order for PR to continue um, to lead. So right now, I mean, look, you know, in, in a lot of these, in a lot of models, and these are very sound models, you have paid media, you have earned media, and you have owned media. Or I don't even like the idea of owned media. I just like sometimes using the phrase non-media because media is a, media is, a, is, is our term, right? You know, our customers, consumers don't really talk about media. They talk about content. That's why Painstakingly, I refer to consumer-generated content, not consumer-generated media. But for the most part, when we think about paid, you know, non-paid, earned, owned, PR really does understand the power of earned. And, and, and certainly Madison Avenue doesn't have a clue. You know, Madison Avenue's um, best attempt is viral marketing, right? The best, their best attempt to, to almost earn additional hits or impressions is through controversy or through some kind of oversimplified viral video. And of course, the problem with viral videos is that, you know, I've often said the 30-second spot tries too hard to sell. The viral video doesn't try hard enough. You know, the second you see any element of brand in the viral video, it almost loses its cool, you know, its coolness factor. So, so you know, again, going back to PR, PR may still be out in front. The question is for how much longer? 
You know, this, this, when people say viral video, I'm baffled because the definition of viral is organic. And the minute you co-opt it, it's no longer viral. Um, if you search internet phenomenon on Google, you get a Wikipedia page of those memes that have really gone viral. Not a single one of them is engineered by an agency or a marketer. Right. So, I mean, I've always said to people, if someone comes to you and tries to sell you a viral video campaign, show them the door. Because once it becomes co-opted, it's no longer viral. And, you know, I heard on a, an interview recently, um, I forget where, um, but something that just clicked with me. And it was the difference between viral and a meme. So you just mentioned the word meme. And you almost kind of just said it nonchalantly like in reference but the two are different viral is short-lived short-term and fad-like but a meme has that um uh that potential and capability to resonate and to stay the course and to and to become part of this long tail um methodology and i think that you know it hit it hit and resonated with me because as a as a marketing and an, and an ex-agency guy, I understand the power of pop of something becoming part of our vernacular or part of the pop culture. And at its best, brands and even advertising had the ability to influence and shape and curate that pop culture. Even go back to something like Was Up, you know, the Budweiser Was Up guys. That became so much more than a viral video or, or even a viral seed. It became a meme. It became something that took on a life of its own. And you had several viral videos that were created, I guess, by consumers. And, and, and it just perpetuated itself. But I think you bring up something else, Eric, that I think is interesting, which is at its best, all of the stuff, social media, you know, what I call incentivization or affiliate 2.0, um, you know, viral, word of mouth, all of it, net promoter score, all of it works best when it's natural, when it's absolutely organic, even paid search versus organic. The question for us, and this is the billion dollar question, if not the hundred billion dollar question is, what do we do about it? You know, do we have to just stay on the sidelines and watch from afar and hit and hope and pray and cross our fingers? You know, are we gagged? Are we, are, are we prevented from figuring out a way to, to scale or formalize or catalyze or, or embed or be able to build upon? The answer has to be, and I mean it has to be, yes. We have to be able to figure out a way to scale this and to be able to leverage it without sacrificing that authenticity, without sacrificing that which made it credible in the first place, which was that natural aspect, that it didn't reek and stink, you know, of, of brand managers' dirty little paws, you know, kind of enveloping it. Um, and that is, you know, maybe that will be a role for the personal brand, you know, social media experts out there if they can ever figure that out how do you bridge the divide between paid and natural because if you can and you can meet somewhere in the middle that's where the speed the sweet spot will lie i believe joe jaffe president and chief interrupter at crayon thank you for joining us thank you for having me it's been fun 
You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 